I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Well, 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 here we are. Ocean Protect podcast. We're joined by... I'm, I'm actually genuinely really, really, really excited about this guest today. So am I, mate, because there's two <laughs> fish-eating men sitting at this table. <laughs> yeah, that's always a For good thing. For now. For now. <laughs> Dr. Adrian Gutteridge, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You are the Fisheries Assessment Manager from the Stewardship Marine Stewardship Council, is that correct? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So the Marine Stewardship Council, MSC, MSC. Kind of better known as internationally, but yep. yeah, that's my job. So I work from the Sunshine Coast in uh, Queensland. I'm yep. one of the few people that kind of work remotely. I kind of <laughs> wrangled that a little bit. Nice. <laughs> but, um, that's good, yeah. <laughs> what, is that, what does that actually involve? Uh, well, it's probably worth explaining a bit about what the MSC is and then my role kind of fits in there <laughs> a little bit. What do you do? Yeah. For who? <laughs> yeah. So Marine Stewardship Council is a, a certification scheme for seafood kind of around the world. So it's a way that fisheries can demonstrate their sustainability credentials kind of in an independent manner to, say, a, a management organisation that might look after that fishery. Yep. And so internationally based, London is our headquarters. We started in the 90s as an offshoot of WWF and as part of that system we have like scientists like myself who deal with the assessments as they come in and my kind of role is primarily just making sure that the science in the MSC system is accurate and that the science is used in a way that matches our requirements so essentially the MSC is a basically a a checklist that is our version of sustainable fishery and anyone can enter that program voluntarily they get independently audited by a group of fisheries experts so that's not the msc yeah and then if they get certified they can use the msc eco label in the seafood that they sell and so we have a whole bunch of different functions and you know staffing in that commercial side guys that work with the fisheries directly um, i'm in the science team so my kind of focus is making sure that like i said all that science checks out and my primary role in the msc is tuna fisheries so that's kind of yeah where my expertise i love lies. eating tuna bread love it yeah wow. that's good same here yep. <laughs> not me but we'll get to that yeah yep. <laughs> so what i'm just keen to know so msc so uh, if i was to if I make it quite simple if i'm a, a fishing industry group yep. like I, I own a fleet of commercial fishing um ships I would go to MSC if I wanted to essentially an MSC tick of approval yep. that, uh, that to call me a sustainable seafood industry or company or group. Yeah, pretty correct? much. Yeah. So the MSC is set up so that 
it's yeah first of all voluntary so you sure we I don't, don't have, have to yeah. yeah you don't have to but if you want to you're more than welcome to join and it's also set up so that individual fishermen within a fleet can go for the msc yeah. if they want to demonstrate hey we're doing something better than the rest of them yeah. we we think we're operating in a way that will meet these requirements we're gonna get certified let's Let's do this. Yeah, so it's obviously in their commercial interest. Yeah. If I get a ticket of approval, I'm probably more uh, commercially attractive than some guy down the road who doesn't have that ticket of approval. Yeah, in many cases. So, I mean, the reasons fisheries come in vary. Some of it is market access so that if you carry the eco-label, so say, for example, in Europe, that's a really established MSC market where consumers recognise the brand. And if you're selling seafood in Europe, you it's in your interest to have that because otherwise people won't buy you. And so in that case, it's a market access sure. reason. But the MSC, the reason people come in might say just be like social license. So they might have a local stakeholder or, you know, a fishery that people think is, you know, not operating well. They don't necessarily sell a lot of seafood, but they want to demonstrate that, hey, we're actually sustainable. Yeah. And we have a reason that we're doing this. And so, you know, the social aspect of it comes into play as well. And, and so give, give people a feel for how much of the what, – what is the current status quo of the fish stocks in the world? So In the world? Yeah. So I'll, Okay, let's start, let's, start, let's start as big as we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what proportion is overfished? What proportion is sustainably fished? Yep. Okay, so the FAO, who's the Food and Agriculture Organization, yeah, basically like an offshoot of the UN mm. that does heaps of agricultural stuff and, um, you know, primary industries – they release a report every couple of years that is a state of global fisheries. The most recent one they produced was two or three years ago, and the estimate is that there's about 170 million tonnes of seafood produced every year, or in the, in the last year of that um, that study they did. About 90 million of that, about half, is wild capture fisheries, and the rest is aquaculture. Mm. So it's kind of 50-50 now yeah. with aquaculture yeah. production to wild capture. Yeah, And of that 90 million... There's about 33% as an estimate that's overfished, about 50 that is at maximum capacity, so at its kind of level, which can be like sustainable level, and then about the rest, so 17-ish percent uh, underfished. So just to clarify, so 17% of fish stocks are underfished, so the rest is basically overfished or basically at their limit? Yeah, 50% at at their limit and Mm. 33 is their estimate. So that 50% can be operating at a sustainable level, and so of that 90 the MSC currently has about 12% of wild capture fisheries certified as sustainable. So what's that? 12% of 90, 10% is nine, yeah. let's say 10 and a bit yeah, yeah, yeah. million tons, right? Mass is always my strong point, <laughs> uh, especially doing it on the fly. So, um, yeah, so that's- We're checking these answers yeah, later that's on. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, there will be an exam <laughs> for you and, and me. Uh, and yeah, so about 12% certified and 15% is engaged in the program. So currently in assessment, but not yet certified. So that's kind of where- the MSC volumes are around the so 10 can, million mark. Can I ask, so we're talking about the 90, sorry, the 90 million tonne mm-hmm. and what about the rest of it? Is that illegal fishing? No, that's total uh, production. It, that's They use trade data, I think, for that okay. study. I'm pretty sure it's trade data. So anything that goes into the seafood supply chain is part of that. So okay. the 90 million includes everything that comes out of the water. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what about legal fishing? Illegal fishing? Yeah, it's if we, like we spoke to um, Graham Lloyd was our recent podcast guest from Sea Shepherd Australia. He made a passing comment which I wasn't aware of. He yep. said about forty percent of of fishing undertaken in our oceans is actually illegal. Is that correct or is that accurate? I don't know that 
to be honest. Yeah. Fact I, check, I, that, Graham. That, I Graham. haven't heard that myself. That sounds either. high that to me. That does sound high to um, me, yeah. But I wouldn't know. Like, I, I guess working for the MSC, you deal with a lot of fisheries that are at the – at the peak and operating in like the best manner. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And so one of the strengths of the MSC program as well that underwrites illegal fishing is that if you're MSC certified, not only do you meet the criteria that we have for a uh, you know, sustainable fishery, you also have to demonstrate that your entire supply chain is from that fishery that it came to. So the person that's buying that fish or seafood product, whatever it is, they know pretty much the boat it came from if they wanted yeah. to, and they can trace it back. So everyone who deals with that seafood has to have a credibility to say, yeah, we can handle MSC product. And so yeah. there's no room for illegal substitution yeah. or uh, legal fisheries to operate in an MSC world. I'll get to the criteria in a sec, but just on the topic of the fish stocks. So, yeah, I'm very familiar with that FAO report. Uh, yeah. It was done t- in 2018. It's called the State of the World Fisheries That's and Ag- one, yeah. Aquaculture, 2018, Meeting the Sustainable Development Goals. And it actually, yeah, you're right. Those figures are more or less uh, correct in terms of overfishing proportions and maximally sustained fish proportions, et cetera. But it's important to recognise that the, proportion of our fish stocks that are overfished is actually increasing it's not a static number so whilst it might be i don't know 17 18 percent what we're seeing is that number is increasing and that and the uh, amount of fish stocks that are underfished is significantly decreasing and there was a report um, done uh, a little while ago i think the journal of science that reported that made this sort of statement that they thought that all fish stocks would collapse by 2050 Mm. what's your thoughts on that how accurate would that statement be Personally, and I guess in my professional life, I don't think that's going to happen. If you're looking at the sustainability of an individual stock and you can manage that as a single Mm. entity, it's possible to fish that in a way that can stay at the maximum limit of that fishery, you know, into the future as long as possible. And that's one of the criteria of the MSC um, certification. So Mm. to kind of give a bit more background what the MSC looks at. So if you are a sustainable fishery in the MSC, you need to demonstrate there's kind of three principles that operate. The first is that your target stock is at a healthy level, so operating around a maximum sustainable yield kind of level. So if we're after snapper, yeah, yeah, you know, let's just you know, okay, let's go, let's go snapper. So okay, yeah. when you say at the maximum level, so where people are fishing, yeah, they are allowed a certain quota per yep. day per week. Yeah, they can stay at that level. Is what you're, you're what you're. Yeah, as long to. as there's as long as there's management in place that is responsive and reactive and deals with things like changes in the environment, changes in the fishery, things that might come in that would change okay. the way fishing okay. power happens. So, for instance, um, we've got a massive <clears throat> runoff from the ash that goes into a certain area, which is going to affect it. That'll be a risk to that stock. Therefore, yep. that person would manage it and say we might have to increase or decrease yep. or whatever. Yeah. So there's people monitoring that the whole time. Yeah. Awesome. That's well, that's, cool. that's in a well-operated fishery. And yep. so in back into the MSC world, if you have that target level of your stock healthy, you need to then oper- uh, demonstrate that your bycatch is low yep. and in a way that's not going to impact those populations either. And then the third one is, to your point, the management. So you need to have strong management in, p- in place, something that will be there, you know, in that kind of situation. So you're monitoring the fishery, you've got surveillance, you have, you know, objectives in the fishery, you have, you're operating under a legal framework and everything in that management is going back towards keeping that target stock at a sustainable level. And, and is it, is it recognised that those sustainable levels may change yep so obviously with for example climate change and there's a lot of reports around it okay if we see a 1.5 degree increase in uh, global sea temperatures we'll probably see uh, a 95 percent reduction in reef 
areas. Yep. And I think something like 80% of uh, all sea creatures spend at least a port part of their life in a reef environment, yep. which means if we lose the reef, we basically lose probably 80-90% of our fish stocks. So how does, how does that sustainable limit change, recognising that climate change is almost inevitable and the impacts uh, and the likely consequences to our fish stocks is going to significantly be impacted? How does that sustainable level change to accommodate that? Well, that's a good question. And it would come down to uh, the way that that determination of catch is mm. done. So if you have an environmental cue in the way that you operate your fishery, then as you're picking up environmental cues, you would change the, you know, the whatever it is. If you have, say, a total level catch for that fishery, mm. if that's coming into play and that's, you know, one of the metrics that drives that fishery, then that would come into it. The climate change thing's a big one because it's a long-term change. And a lot of the time what happens is uh, a stock assessment, which is the primary tool that drives, you know, what level your fishery's at. That's something that looks at, looks back in time and it looks at kind of the most recent fluctuations in catch, right? And then out of that stock assessment, it might feed into management that then drives a change in how much comes out. And so if those things are all talking to each other and you have a harvest strategy, which is all those elements coming together that's responsive to that, then even if the catch is going down because the environment can't support that catch anymore, you can still fish that stock at a point where you're not impacting it insofar as without fishing, it would go away, if that makes sense. So the environment, if the environment is driving it such that it is the main reason that a fish stock is changing, you can still harvest from that fishery, provided you're still taking the surplus and you're allowing that fish stock to replenish. And even in the absence of fishing, it would still be there. We did a podcast last year with Annika Dean from uh, the Climate Council. Climate Council Australia, Dr. Annika Dean. Yeah, um, fantastic podcast. One thing is with climate change, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, we might see a species of fish disappear from somewhere but then pop up somewhere else because yep. of the change in the oceans, uh, different nutrients coming out from melting ice. So all of a sudden they're like, oh, my God, marching the penguins are gone. If you look over like 300K, there's a new colony of, of penguins or, you know, yeah. do you guys see that and, and, and do you look at that type of research and what you guys do? Not primarily in the MSC. So we're kind of set up to be what's called, you know, riding the crest of the wave. We operate at what is perceived to be global best practice from fisheries management and every, we go through a process where our standard is updated every five years in order to keep up with best practice. So we don't go out and be the forefront of the research yeah, yeah, we yeah. use the research you're living yeah. in the now exactly yeah. and so if it's something that becomes apparent that global fisheries have to adapt to this then that's yeah. something we would adopt mm. but climate change as it applies directly to the msc isn't really our kind of i guess um role wheelhouse well, yeah, 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 i'm trying yeah, to get yeah, as yeah. many fishing starting from now yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i got more metaphors than i'm, I can, I'm dangling I... some bait out there yeah yeah but like, yeah. i guess uh this is awesome. obviously there's so much science involved in what you guys yeah. do it's it, it'd be impossible for you guys to be responsible for for both analyzing that and yeah yeah 100 yeah so you're almost like a a regulator that gives a certification to say, hey, you know, these guys are doing it in the right way. Enjoy the fish that, that they put on the shelves. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. And do you have a comp- competitor? In terms of certifications, there are a couple. Um, Who are they? They're, name uh, and shame. Oh, I don't know if I are can. They- <laughs> I don't think no, it's so just naming they- first. Yeah, yeah. Naming shaming. <laughs> yeah. so well, we like Adrian. I think yeah. our lawyers are calling us yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
my boss is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in terms of certification, MSC is the biggest one globally, the most recognized. So certification is around, you know, recognizing and rewarding individual fishers in a fleet. And it's about a voluntary process of coming in. They get independently audited by fisheries experts outside the MSC. Who pays for that? Uh, the client. Is there a conflict of interest associated with getting essentially the, 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 the group applying for that accreditation? Is there a conflict of interest in those people paying the independent certifiers to do that work? Uh, I don't think so because they're trying to demonstrate that. Adrian, I call bullshit. Yeah, right. There has to be a conflict of interest there. Why? why? Bullshit yourself, mate. Why why is there a conflict of interest? It's like like saying, okay, I'm going to have a beauty contest. I'm, I'm always go- saying, he always goes back to this analogy. I'm going to have nice a beauty hair. contest. <laughs> I'm going to have a beauty contest, and the judges, I'm going to pay for them. Okay, but hold on. But okay, if, but- everyone, if, if everyone's paying that same judge, no, no, that's the thing. No one, they're not. The, and the, the person, no, no, the, the, the group, listen the, to Adrian first. They're independent okay. experts. Yeah. I'm just querying their independence. I'm not saying they're not independent. I'm just saying, are you? Absolutely certain that they don't have a conflict of interest and that they actually are appropriately independent, given that the, the, the groups applying for that accreditation are paying for those people yep. to do that accreditation for them. It's yep. obviously in the accreditor's best interest to give them a bit of a tick of approval. No, 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 no let no, me finish. No, let me finish. It's yeah. in their best interest to give them a tick of approval because if they don't, chances are the next person that or group that comes along isn't going to go via them, are they? Who, who, who picks them? On a valid point, I'm saying, but who picks them? So, like, so yeah, because he's right. If, if I'm like, if I'm trying to get certified, and I go, "Hey, I've got to pay Bob down the road. Bob, come over to my place for a beer. Here's here's five hundred bucks. Certify yep. me." So, what's that process? Okay. There must be something. I would say that if it was all done in house and there was nothing publicly available in that process, you'd be hundred percent right. But in the MSC process, any time there is a, uh, I guess, a report put out or a decision process being made. It gets made public and gets put on our website and any stakeholder can input to that, read what the fishery has said and say, if they don't agree, they go back to that independent group and say, here's the points I don't agree on. That has to be uh, responded to by the independent bodies and the MSC system. They have a, a, first of all, site visit where they go to the fishery and every interested stakeholder goes there with the client group, with the independent assessment team. They all sit in a room and every, all the information is put up and they talk about the fishery. Mm-hmm. The, the independent team uses all that information to score the fishery against our criteria. They then produce a public report. Everyone feeds back into the process. There is also a peer review function. So two uh, in, uh, expert independent to the process peer reviewers read that report, provide comment on it like a scientific paper. Mm-hmm. Same kind of rigor as a scientific paper. It then goes to us. We read it as well. We provide a thing called technical oversight. So that is for my job that's one of the main functions. So I will read what the assessment team's put in there, knowing those fisheries, knowing the science is out there, making sure that, okay, we'll raise something and say, that actually doesn't meet what our criteria are. You need to improve your rationale or change it if that doesn't doesn't happen. Then gets to a point where they release a final report. Mm -hmm. If a stakeholder who's been involved in that process still doesn't agree, they can object to that fishery becoming certified. If that objection becomes uh, accepted by an independent... uh, um, adjudicator who the MSC engages, who's basically a legal expert on fisheries, they like they review it like a, a tribunal. And so the objecting body to that fishery, the independent uh, the independent adjudicator and the independent certifiers will hash it out. 
And then the independent adjudicator makes a decision whether certification is valid or not. There's like three or four checkpoints where stakeholders can feed in. And I think one of the one of the big strengths of the MSC and one of the things that it does for fisheries is that it puts so much information into the public domain that would otherwise be either hard to find or pretty much like buried, right? Mm-hmm. So management agencies look after fisheries. They have all this information, but as a, just a punter who goes, oh, I want to know about Snapper, let's look on the website. And you look at the website, there's a whole bunch of stuff, but if that fishery has gone through the MSC process, you know what the health of the stock is, what the history of that fishery is, the management in place for Snapper, the bycatch that it goes after, well, not sorry, not goes after, but interacts with, you know those levels are all okay if it becomes certified. You know the management arrangements in place. So all that becomes put into one document where anyone can read. See, that is, we're in an industry going through a process of change whereby we've got a stormwater product that usually has to go through an independent university. Um, you've got to get that information peer-reviewed. Uh, now we're going to, to trying to get some protocols in place on how you test your products. And one of the biggest things is around conflict of interest, mm-hmm. number one. Number two is around sharing of that data. The best people, and this I picked it up from you, mm-hmm. the best way to make it a, a level playing field. Transparent. Transparent. Yeah. Is everyone sees everyone's data. Yeah. Because 100%. then you can't bullshit. Yeah. And that is one of the biggest things in our industry. Like the best way to try and the, the best people, the best entities to check someone's work is someone's competitor. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know what I mean? So if Brad and I were competitors, I would write a report. Well, Brad pick holes in it. That's the best way to do it because if it's all public, then you've got to put it out in the open. That's something that we in our industry don't do. And, you know, I think that probably answers your question. Yeah, and I think it's uh, like one of the benefits of having this podcast is we learn so much from our guests. And like you guys – Well, he just called me a punter, so I'm not so (laughs) sure about that. (laughs) You guys have obviously been dealing with, you know, accreditation, certifications and conflicts of interest and independence, all that sort of stuff for many, many years. As a stormwater industry, which is kind of the industry we're in, mm-hmm. we're, we're sort of fairly new to that and yep. we're trying to, trying to learn as we go along. And it's just interesting to, uh, I guess, build on the learnings of other groups that have basically been doing it for a lot longer than we have. Yep. So that, that's that's very interesting stuff. How did I do then? Four out of five? <laughs> Mate, well, it's I'm, pretty hard to get a comment on that. I'm, I'm, I'm still vegan. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> He's well, a vegan. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't drink. Yeah. He doesn't, the only thing he does is ride on this his bike like, upstairs and play with his dogs. <laughs> Ten minutes in and I'm ready for Q&A. Bring it on. I don't want it to seem like a Spanish Inquisition, cause, but, but yeah, I guess no, but cool. I'm really genuinely curious about this. And yeah. I, and, I, and like I'm only asking these questions because I actually really want to know the answers because I I do probably the the research that I'm sure you will be familiar with 
terms of you, you see the Wikipedia posts, you see the yeah. internet posts, you see um, uh, research by like Richard Oppenlander who did that um, book, fantastic book called uh, Food Choices and Sustainability. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, he's very critical of MSC. And, I, and a couple of things that I've sort of mentioned, the conflicts of interest, the independence of these reviewers, et cetera, yep. um, they're key items of, I guess, queries that uh, uh, him and others have posted. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm guess keen to have a more of an open and frank discussion yeah, about fine. these issues. But I guess in terms of MSC, like I guess that's a great process to hear from. Uh, have you got a feel for, out of all the sort of groups and individuals that apply for MSC accreditation, what proportion of those actually get the tick of approval? What's the pass rate? It's relatively high because a fishery isn't going to, well, first of all, there's a couple of things in there. The assessment process costs money. So you're not going to, you know, fork out massive bones to fail, really. <laughs> Sometimes a fishery might do that in order to demonstrate to its management that it's not happening. Yeah. And you guys aren't managing our fishery well enough. We're going to get MSC and fail on purpose. That could be a reason they do it. Mm. There was a fishery recently that went through a system. So can you just clarify, when you say a fishery. Okay, you're- a fishery. So when I'm talking about a fishery, so a fishery is like in broad terms, a fleet that goes after a certain, a, a certain stock. So, out okay, there. so let's go back to tuna because yep, you tuna. love tuna. Yep. So a fishery could be Jeremy Brown's um, fishing um, company I'll, and I've got I'll six I'll give you ships. an example. Perfect. So, Can you still call it Jeremy Brown's fishing company? Uh, Jeremy Brown's <laughs> fishing company, yeah. Bubba Gum Shrimp Corporation? Yeah. Hey, they went out of business pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, hey, Bubba yeah. Gum? Or? They rode, them, rode themselves out. <laughs> yeah. Like, mate, you need a, you need a, you need a motor. Um, so off the coast here, eastern Australia is where we are. So there's a, a long-line fleet that operates in the eastern waters of Australia here that's managed Commonwealth managed called the Eastern Tuna Billfish Fishery. Do you know what a long line is, mate? I do. A long line. A long line oh, is. It's the easiest way to fish. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, I'm going to get to fishing, fishing <laughs> methods in a second. Okay, that's that's fine, fine. We'll get to that in a second. I'll get to fishing <laughs> methods all day I, long. I'm just warming up, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we talk about recreational fishing methods and we're getting into certain knots and rigs, then that's my jam oh, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so off the East Coast here, there's a fleet that's about 50 boats. And initially, a group of a three boat like kind of Mar and Pa operation out of Mooloolaba, went for MSC certification. So that is what MSC considers a fishery. It's the group of boats that come in for assessment, part of a wider fleet. Now it's got to the point where that fishery is going through reassessment and every boat in the Eastern Australian tuna longline fishing is going to go through MSC assessment. By by choice. By choice. Yeah, okay. So say there's 50 boats in a fleet. Yep. You're saying mum and dad own three of those in the fleet. Do the fleet work together? Uh, Well, the fleet... Essentially, well, they compete against each other because they're obviously all a commercial entity, but they all have to operate within the management bounds of that fishery. So they operate in Commonwealth Waters of Australia. So the MSC certified group, that was those three boats and the 50 boats, they all have to operate in the same way that the Australian Federal Management Authority, AFMA, whatever they said. So everyone's fishing that fishery the same thing. They've got total elbow catches. No one can exceed those limits. Yeah, Yeah, cool. There was just one, like three, three fishers, uh, sorry, one company that decided to get MSC certification. Yeah. And that's what we would, that's what we call a fishery. Yeah. In, okay. And that's what yeah. became okay. certified. Cool. Yep. So then, geez, just logically speaking, Ma and Pa out of the three boats are going to get that same fish stock. Yeah. Sort of kind of forces the other 47 boats to do the same. Is that? Uh, it doesn't necessarily. Again, it kind of depends on what the outcome and what the reasons they came into the, the program were in the first place. Okay. And if, if other boats are seeing that that, that group of boats is now selling to markets that the fleet can't access because they're not MSC certified, then that could be a reason why they come in. Again, it could be something where the public 
might say this fishery is we don't like it and it's not not happening and yeah, you yeah. know irrespective of what if you know what you do and what AFMA tell us they might not like it and then the fleet might decide okay cool this is we're going to go for MSC certification so there's actually a quite a good example from Western Australia so Western Australia the state managed fisheries about six or seven years ago they went through a process where they went okay how are we going to demonstrate that our fisheries are awesome and the people of Western Australia have faith in us they did a whole pre-assessment phase they went through a different you know, methods the MSC was the thing they came out with so lots of fisheries there have gone through MSC certification the government puts money aside there's a big push you know there's been fisheries over there that become MSC certified the kind of I guess the best example of a social license to operate fishery was uh, a fishery that goes for mullet and blue swimmer crabs in a place called the Peel Harvey Estuary which is about oh, a couple of hundred k's south of Perth in Mandurah so the people that ended up getting certified were small operators like they just go out in their tinnies pretty much out into this lake catch mullet catch crabs every day and they go home and they sell their, their product but the other group that came in for uh, certification was the recreational fishermen who go for blue swimmer crabs so the recreational body there was kind of tension between the commercial guys and the recreational guys about who was having the biggest impact on the crabs and so the recreational body said well we want msc as well and it's illegal to sell fish commercially if you're a recreational fisherman so there's no they, they can't carry the eco label there's any fisherman that comes in anyway so their whole point of doing that was to demonstrate that they also operate in a way that is sustainable so it was it was a way of demonstrating that hey we're doing the right thing as well and we're all yeah, on board don't point the finger at us yeah we're allowed to go out and get a feed and yep Oh, that, so that, that that's quite cool. So it's not just for at the supermarket or your local fish um, place. It, it is for other reasons as well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, when a fishery gets certified, it's kind of up to them how they use the eco label. Yeah. If they if they want to access markets they never have or what they do with it, it's kind of that's like a decision that the client makes. But you know, ultimately, as far as the MSC's vision and mission, which is oceans team with life and seafood supplies safeguarded, mm. so. To do that, the MSC mission is use the eco-label, use our um, certification to recognize and reward fishermen and influence the, the seafood market so that it becomes a sustainable platform. So ultimately, it's good for the MSC's, uh, you know, I guess our internal warmth and our ability to go to bed at night thinking we've done the right thing. You know, the reason you get up in the morning to go to work, that the eco-label is out there and people are seeing it because that means they're choosing from a sustainable fishery and they're, you know, they're, I guess, making a decision with their wallet. Mm. So that's good. But at the same point, it's like like you're saying, if it's a social license to operate thing, so so be it. And yeah. that's awesome as well. But I guess I guess with great sort of recognition of brand or accreditation, with great power comes great responsibility yes. as well. What's and his I, name? What was the uh, uncle's Spider-Man. name? Spider-Man. It was yeah. Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben, yeah, yeah right. We're yeah. quoting every, all the famous people today. Absolutely. It was Spider-Man. No, it was Spider-Man no, it was Spider-Man movie, it was, it was uncle. uncle Ben said it. Yeah. Oh, Just right. before he gets shot by that oh, dude. Yeah, 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 that's right. But I guess get back to my original question because uh, and I asked what proportion of, of groups that apply for MSC accreditation get it and you said – it's fairly high. Yeah. That was a key criticism of, I guess, Richard yeah. Oppelander's sort of book was every, pretty much everyone who applies gets the MSC tick of approval. Okay. Yeah. And, and you use the argument. Oh, yeah. Look, you wouldn't, you wouldn't bother going for it if you weren't pretty confident, uh, that you were going to get it anyway. Well, but the other way of looking at it from a, from a tree hugging hippie perspective is that it's just rubber stamping everything that goes through. Yeah. Okay. That's a fair point. And I guess I was talking about the, you know, a, a, an economic point of view of why would you go for MSC? Yeah. But the thing is as well with the MSC is, it's the gold standard, right? It's the highest bar. So if you are, say, an athlete and you want to go to the Olympics and you train and train and train and train and train, 
you're not going to go to the Olympic tryouts if you're still running 10-5. Mm. You know, you're going to get Olympic tryouts, or maybe in Australia. But um, you, you get Olympic tryouts if, you, if you're going, you know, sub-10 and my, you're killing it. Yeah, so, my concern is MSC is just giving out, you know, participation awards. No, yeah, okay, that's fair That's enough, my only concern. That's just a concern. That's fine. And so, I mean, that's a valid point. That's a, like a criticism that I've heard before. But yeah. the improvement that you need to make as a fishery in order to get you to an MSC level. So MSC is operating at global best practice. Global best practice is a high bar, yeah. right? So fisheries that come into the MSC program, mm. they've made all their improvements to that point. Well, not all their improvements, most of their big improvements up until that point. And then you get into the MSC program. One of the things with the MSC program is that you don't just get certified and then you're certified and nothing happens. Mm. The way our, we have, we have a scoring system, right? It's, it's at 60, 80 and 100 is the three levels. Anyway, I can probably get into detail because it's an hour and a half chat. Um, maybe two. Yeah, maybe two. We'll see how we go. We'll see how many more uh, season. cultural references we can get in. Um, yeah, so our 60, 80, 100. If you don't meet all the 60s, which is considered global good practice, then you fail. You have to meet – there's like 128 scoring issues. You have to meet every one of them at global good practice. If you don't meet 60, you, you fail. Mm. If you go through and you don't meet an 80, which is global best practice, you get a condition. And your condition is in the five years of your certification, you have to improve from global good practice to global best practice. And so the MSC also drives change amongst fisheries that become certified. Yeah, so you're right. not just in there and then you have the you have the eco-label for five years and you do nothing. So have you, I don't want to put you on the spot, but have you got any idea of what proportion of MSC accredited groups actually lose their accreditation um, accredited over time? The yeah. groups, the yeah. fisheries? If, if, yeah, what proportion of MSC accredited groups actually lose their accreditation? Do you mean the groups that do the independent assessing or the actual fisheries? The fisheries. fisheries. Uh, I wouldn't know off the top of my head. I would think that... So we're, we're to the point now where we've been around for 20 years, but we've had the biggest influx of fisheries in the last five, mm, mm. five to kind of six. And that five to six years is the length of a certificate. So we're seeing fisheries come in and remain in. There's fisheries we've had since 2000, like the Western Rock Lobster was the first one. Western Australian Rock Lobster was the first one ever. The rate of improvement in the fishery, so each of those conditions I was talking about, there's been about 900 conditions met in that time so that means that there's been you know improvements up to global best practice across all fisheries that have happened at that point <laughs> if a fishery gets to the point where it's not going to become recertified because it hasn't made those improvements and falls out i wouldn't know off the top of my head but if i'm thinking about the tuna fisheries we have in the program i would think it'd be probably at a guess five to ten percent wouldn't get recertified that's interesting yeah, one one comment. I but that's that's an outright yeah, guess, you know. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, fact well, check it later. I probably should as well. Yeah, it's all right. But just going back to um your point, Brad. You know, like if you are training for, well, it was yours as well. If you are training for the Olympics, the you know if you're if you're running tens and you need to get to nine and a half, you've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. So, you know, I guess that's what I guess you're trying to say is people aren't going to come in here if uh, like a weekend warrior like me running yep. 16s trying to get MSC certified. Yeah, yeah, you, you wouldn't waste your time. Yeah. So, I guess globally, you guys have raised the bar 
just by putting this thing in place, which I think is a wonderful thing. And yep. look, mate, Pro- everyone's yeah, good. I agree, provided that bar is actually appropriate. Like we're using the analogy of it running a 10 second, 100 metres, whatever, that's fine. But if that bar... Do you want to use another, how many carrots you need? Well, okay, let's talk about fishing methods. Yep. So I'm keen to know, okay, we talked about stocks, Boom. but if I if I am a, a if I'm a gunning for accreditation, MSC accreditation, yep. is there any limitation as to what fishing methods I can use? So, for example, can I use uh, deep sea trawling? Can I use long line fishing? Yep, you can use anything apart from cyanide and dynamite. So, <laughs> see, I, I have a concern with that. Surely, surely it is well recognised that deep sea trawling is horrendously devastating to the marine environment, as is long line fishing so why on earth would those two practices recognized as being ecologically devastating how could they possibly be given a classification as being sustainable okay so first with the deep water trawling so the way that those fisheries are managed and something the msc asks you is that you're not impacting on the full range of your habitat to a point where it can't recover and if it's a vulnerable marine ecosystem it has to be recoverable in a certain amount of time so if your footprint is small enough that it's not impacting on that population of habitat, whatever it is, in a wider, in the distribution of that habitat, then if that fishery is managed in that way, you can meet the MSC requirements. I look at that from a, in, I guess, in my perspective and go, if I was kangaroo harvesting, for example, in Australia, yep. and if I basically got a bulldozer and killed everything within a kilometre stretch for 2Ks, just because I'm chasing after kangaroos, but I killed everything else, like koalas and possums, whatever, surely that would be recognised as being unsustainable just because we're doing it in the oceans. Why is it any different? Well, if that was the case and your impact on koalas and possums and quolls and whatever other landmass people you care to name. <laughs> carrots. <laughs> carrots, yeah. What you, would, what, you'd be, what you would be asked and what you'd have to demonstrate in the MSC is that what you're impacting apart from your target stock is in a way that it's not going to impact its population either. So that, the, I mean, the reality is fisheries interact with lots of different species sure. and each of those species needs to be managed so that it's going to remain there. But fisheries are, um, you know, they're, they're capture fisheries. They take that kind of stuff out of the ocean. MSC is about, and lots of management around the world on bycatch, is about reducing your bycatch to a point where... Well, how do you reduce your bycatch? Okay, so there's a number of different ways. So let's, let's talk about what bycatch actually okay, is. Okay, so first. bycatch is pretty much things that. Uh, if you're going out for tuna and you get a shark in there, if you're going out for um, you know snapper and you get a whale in there, that's yeah, bycatch. That's something bycatch, that you're yeah. not after. Yeah. Also known as bykill. Uh, it's not always bykill because uh, poached list mortality of some of those species is actually pretty high and depends okay. on the fishing method as well. And so you can have. <laughs> I didn't know we had that function. Uh, that we we, we only learned how to do it yesterday. <laughs> yeah, right, fair enough. Okay, so bycatch is, yeah, as I said, pretty much the non, non-targeted non uh, species that you have in your fishery. There are ways to reduce that in any kind of fishing. So you talked about longline before. Yeah. Longline historically has uh, high interactions with things like turtles, the introduction and seabirds. There's management efforts and introduction of different gear types in that long line that can reduce that. So a, a circle hook is one. A circle hook is a hook where it kind of bends around and the point of the hook is almost facing back to the um, shaft, right? And uh, that reduces uh, a, a turtle won't be able to ingest that hook and it won't, you know, it won't mm. 
if it does get captured, it's much easier to release because it'll it'll mouth hook, yeah. and so it's not gonna you know it's not gonna be down its throat, and once yeah. you release, it's gonna die. Uh, with seabird interactions, there's these things called Tory lines. The interaction you have with a seabird in a longline boat is within the first say 20 meters behind the boat when the longline shooting out the back. So a longline is a method where uh, a boat is basically driving along. It's got a uh, monofilament line upwards of kind of 30 k's long. And they clip on hooks at different intervals as the long line goes out the back of the boat, right? That's amazing. 30-kilometre well, hey, long. But hold on, but that's one way you can do it. The yeah. other way you can do it is for the amateur fisherman like myself. You <laughs> yeah. don't have 30-kilometre. You might have on the back of the dinghy, you might have a line and put 20 hooks on. And as you're Not living, in Queensland. Not, no, sorry, in New Zealand. Oh, yeah, New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. New Zealand's oh. got some cowboy rules. It's a wild west yeah, out yeah. there, baby. Well, anyway, <laughs> but then as so as you're letting the line out, you might click on a hook and then another couple of metres. Yeah. And, and, yeah, so, like, there's scales so, on yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so my that, PhD was shark shark biology stuff. Yeah. I had a 400-metre well, set line, long line. Hmm. So 400 metres, 30 hooks, all the baits on there. And I'd let that sink to the bottom, wait an hour, go back, pick it up. And then you release the sharks, deal with the sharks that are coming up. So that's what. Even after an hour, they're still alive. Yeah, yeah, because sharks can pick up a bait and still swim around. And if you've got a 30 kilometer stretch of line. They're like, still, yeah, they can still yeah, swim yeah, around. Yeah. They'll still be alive. For how long? Uh, the set times on them vary, but, uh, it'll be, you know, overnight kind of thing. I'll be honest with you. I'd be pretty annoyed if yeah. I was uh, stuck, and even if someone was good enough to let me go, yeah. um, I'd be like, "Man, that that really sucked." Yeah, uh, yeah, probably, probably would. Yeah, yeah. So whilst not whilst not we'll be killing these animals, we're making yeah. life fairly unpleasant for them. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. but that's still sustainable. Yeah, because the impact is on the animal's <laughs> ability to live after it's that been released. That doesn't matter. So if it's if it's been stressing out and it still lives. Um, you know, it might have just done a crazy exam. Like, <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. Episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.